If talking about new travel destinations or discovering the latest travel gadgets gets your heart racing just like mine, well then, you are in the right place. Hello there, I'm Katrina Rountree and welcome to another episode of Journeys to Come, our podcast about the wonders of travel, a place where we share memories from recent trips and we dream about upcoming adventures. So get your passports ready and join me for Journeys to Come. Kirsty Manning, thank you so much for joining us on Journeys to Come. I'm imagining that most people listening to our chat are passionate about travel and, of course, a good story. We all we all love uh, to take our books away with us when, when we go on our journeys. Uh, many of us are, are fans, uh, well, okay, in, in my case, certainly with the Midsummer Garden. And the focus today is to talk about the jade lily. But there's so many different things I want to ask you about as we delve into your new book. I did want to begin by asking, uh, I know that you're from uh, country New South Wales and you're a passionate traveller. You, you've, you've been a food writer, travel writer and, and involved in publishing. I am curious, how much does that love of travel inform your writing? The idea for this story, The Jade Lily, certainly came about when I was on holidays in Shanghai and I I literally saw a a Star of David in the door of of quite a poorer area of Shanghai, one of the less developed areas, and I, I was quite dumbstruck because I thought, what... What is the Star of David doing listed mm. on the door in the middle of Shanghai? That's that kind of religious iconography you just don't see in a communist country. What took you to Shanghai in the first place? My husband had been overseas travelling for a bit and I was at home with three small children and I think they were still in primary school. And I just had itchy feet. I just needed... We live in the country and on the edge of a mountain and it's beautiful and tranquil and... Um, I just needed to shake up my life a bit. What was it like travelling through China in general with three children? It is remarkably easy. The Chinese are so friendly and they adore children. And the public transport in Shanghai is remarkable. And Mm. Shanghai is that incredibly impressive place where it is so shiny and new and even the train stations are an adventure. They have to move millions of people very quickly every day. And um, it's clean, it's efficient, there's not much crime. I not for one second felt unsafe with my children day or night walking. Some people may know your name from a wonderful book that you wrote uh, or co-wrote, We Love Food. So I, I just wanted to ask, as a food lover, um, what, what was that experience in China like? Oh, Shanghai is all about the food, I think, uh, with the children. And certainly when we travel, we do not dine in at home. So we would go out for breakfast, lunch and dinner. And we, and of course, Chinese, uh, in Shanghai a little bit, but just outside Shanghai, there's not so much English spoken. Sometimes they'll, um, they'll have a lot of pictures on the venue, but don't expect to get in a cab and um, speak English to people. You really need a hotel card or an address card for where you're going. And so what I did when we arrive, I always like to take a food tour of the city, and there's a great company over there called Untour Food Tours, and they run an extraordinary breakfast tour in the French concession and um, you start in Fuxing Park and you go through um, the breakfast dumplings and you see the jambing, the um, pancakes being made on the hotbeds and they show you the best um, they show you the best 
kind of pillow vegetarian um, mushroom rolls or pork rolls, pork buns. Want more travel in your day? Well then, join us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Just search for Journeys to Come and follow us. And while you're there, hey, how about you share your own travel pics and stories with the hashtag Journeys to Come. The food writer in you is coming through loud and clear. And I, I will, of course, delve into the book. But I, I just I, I just was wondering if you could share some advice for people listening that, that do love their travelling, that love to write down their thoughts and possibly might want to do blogs or, or, or document their experience. Can you give us any sort of advice? It actually started off when I was back at university and I went travelling to Europe and I kept a diary, just basically a general travel diary and I had mm. a sketch out interesting things I saw and write little descriptions of people or galleries that we went to and um, just the uncommon things, not the standard things. So now I, nothing's changed. I always travel with a diary. It doesn't matter that I'm going for work. And I often take a walking tour in any city. So, for instance, when I went to Shanghai and um, I took a historical tour and I went, I took my sister actually on my research trip for the Jade Lily and um, I didn't realise that Shanghai had some of the most extraordinary Art Deco buildings in the world. No. It's famous for them. And you can take specialist Art Deco tours and they take you into the buildings and you look at the architraves and they talk about who lived them and the businessmen who were all Jewish, by the way, because, I mean, Shanghai in the 1920s and 30s, it really was the Paris of the East. It was where, you know, the Silk Road, all the trade went in and out. There was the British and the Americans and the French and they all had their own concessions. Um, and it was just this heaving um, centre of trade. And it's like that again now, I think, in a contemporary way. And... Um, that you can see the old medieval curls of the buildings and um, you can walk from any given street through, um, you know, you can be in a medieval town, you can be in something like Game of Thrones and then you can be in Blade Runner. It's extraordinary. So take us back to that time when you were walking through the streets, the back streets of Shanghai and you saw the Star of David. It's a, a, an extraordinary story. It's... Um, who, who, why would they come to Shanghai? I mean, can you imagine living in Vienna and getting on a boat? So you had to get out of, well, um, Austria was part of Germany by then, and um, get on a boat to eat, go on a train out of the country as quickly as you could with nothing but a bag and get to Italy and then get on a boat and then come up the, um, the river into this port of Shanghai. And if you've seen the Bund in Shanghai, you know it is remarkable. They mm. would have had the most extraordinary buildings in the world. And they've coming, they're coming from Austria and from Vienna where the buildings are very ornate and there's this global, um, very European-style waterfront. Then in front of that are all these wooden docks with Chinese people and new languages and... Um, you know, docks full of fish and frogs and mushrooms and everything that's being traded from around the world, just the sights and the smell and the different languages. It must have been the most extraordinary thing to see because it looked European, but it's completely um, 
Asian or Eastern, as they would have called it then. You have now opened up a new world for many of us who are reading about this life in the Jade Lily. Please explain to us the background to it. During World War II, Jewish people were starting to be, um, I guess, rounded up and put into ghettos or concentration camps or have all their assets stripped. And, um, and so my character in the book did what many characters went and um, went to the British consulate to try and get a visa to come to Britain um, and then Australia and then America and they, they could not. I mean, it was impossible to get a visa. The, the, our countries had all shut their borders. And, um, and so I feel like it's a similar theme to what often happens today. Is that right, that you grappled with whether you should tell this story or not and that it was a chance meeting with Jodie Picoult that, that spurred you on? Um, she's actually published by the same publisher as I and the publicist introduced us and I had like a minute with Jodie because there were 400 people queuing up and I just said, how did you do it? How did you write from a different perspective, a voice that wasn't your own? Um, this was, uh, she wrote from a perspective in her last book of uh, black American, um, and it's an extraordinary tale. And I wasn't sure that I had the chops, the literary chops, to write from either a Jewish or a Chinese um, perspective. But she said, do your research and make it real and just, you make sure that you write it from the right place. And, um, and so when I was I went to the Jewish Refugee Museum in Shanghai and they have an extraordinary collection of um, the way that people lived in Shanghai in the ghetto, firstly in the French concession and then they were forced into a ghetto which was one square mile, I guess, in the heart of Shanghai. They also had to share with um, 100,000 Chinese people who already lived there, so they had to... Um, share rooms with Chinese families. Really, I'm trying to visualise this because I have been to Shanghai many times and I was unaware of this world. I gather you were unaware as well. While you're listening, why not add some travel to your inbox? Sign up for my weekly travel updates at journeystocome.com. I know that you did your research over there, but also you did um, some fascinating research back in Australia and you met... A man. Sam Ashinsky, an extraordinary man. So I contacted the Jewish Museum here and I said, um, I told them that I wanted to write this story of a little girl fleeing Vienna and her family and her time in the Shanghai ghetto and then she migrates to Australia. And I, I had read um, Sam's book. He was a, um, a Russian immigrant, so he didn't go to the ghetto. Um, his family was very wealthy and so I had read his memoir and the museum put me in touch with him and I got on to Sam and I met with him here actually at Pilota he came and I told him about what I was writing and I asked if he'd read my manuscript and he has this extraordinary booming baritone voice and he's very clear and he's lived this extraordinary life and he started telling me about his time in Shanghai and he said of course um, I lived in a very wealthy house in a very wealthy side of town, but I have a friend, Horst Eisfelder, who is from Shanghai, uh, from Shanghai also, and could I give him a copy of your book to read? And honestly, this man went through my manuscript with a fine-tooth comb, and it turned out Horst had actually uh, been on the same boat that my character no. was on, the Contaverde from Italy, and his family owned the 
Café Louis, the café that I um, have one of my characters working with. I've got chills. That's amazing. So he was able to go through the life, um, you know, the elements of the book. And they were so generous because it does become an issue. We are telling a history. We want the facts in there, but it's also fiction. And there's mm. some, a little bit of magic that happens between the fact and the fiction. And they were so generous in the, in the parts where I kind of... Um, I had to condense and extrapolate time frames, and there are certain time frames you do have to hit within a war. Obviously, certain things happened within certain dates, um, and certainly within Asia and globally within the World War, you have to keep the war in perspective, um, and the characters aware of what's going on. But don't forget, in Shanghai at that time, they actually had no idea the extent of. Um, the atrocities that were happening back in Europe. They thought it was um, Russian propaganda. There were rumours coming through, but they actually didn't know the full um, horror of the concentration camps. So I had to be very careful when I was writing to not imbue my characters with my knowledge. The history from the book jumps off the page, the characters, and, and, and you're, you're in their world. I noticed that there was a, a similarity, a little bit of a thread about uh, from that leads back to the Midsummer Garden and the connection with herbs and uh, curing things via uh, food and, and that, that maternal kind of instinct flowing through was... Is that a passion of yours or it's in both books? I think that will always be in my books because I'm so interested in herb law and herbalism and um, how uh, we can use food and herbs to heal. And um, and I guess with Chinese medicine, this, this whole interest in China started because I received some treatment from a good friend who is a Chinese doctor, Sandy Griffiths, and she is a traditional Chinese medicine doctor. If you go to a hospital in Shanghai, if you're admitted to hospital in Shanghai, you will be treated using both traditional Chinese medicine methods and also Western medicine. So they use the best of both. It is used to augment. And I think it just makes sense to me that the... Um, outward factors in our lives and the way we hold stress and grief and trauma some people weep it out and some people really internalize that and if you cling and hold on to that what does that do to your organs what does that do to your mm. stress levels and the tense levels in your body and this is a story of um, healing and grief and trauma and everybody everybody's body and every character treats that in a different way. And I think Chinese medicine and herb law gave me a language, I guess, a language of herbs to uh, address that trauma, that grief, that issue. There's also a, a, a tiny tip in the book. What's your advice to those suffering from jet lag or a cold caught via or just before travelling? I tend to find that I, I will often get a cold as soon as I go on a trip because I've the anxiety, the stress, getting up to the point, getting up to the point, getting up to the point, and then you're on the plane and then suddenly you, you relax, the body relaxes, and that is when you get your cold, normally the beginning of a trip. But... but there's a, a mention in the book about um, about what's your cure-all for jet lag and, um, and colds too. My character, Alexandra, her mother makes her a bath of cinnamon, <laughs> sprinkles some cinnamon in to kind of leach the, the cold from her body, but also there's um, the classic brew of um, 
I think it's garlic and lemon and hot water that she sips as well and, and it's an age-old remedy. So what does your husband think of, of this latest book? I was always discussing it and he thought that the backbone of this book was such a dramatic and um, an extraordinary story. He really believed in it from the outset and when he read it I actually gave him the final um, draft to read and he was blown away by it. He really? Thought, he said it was just extraordinary and he had one tip for me which was I had the wrong number of horns blowing when a ship comes in to port because he is a sailor. For that, we love him. We love Alex for that tip. And that's the thing with um, writing historical fiction. You do have to get it uh, true as much as you can. Travel is often best shared with friends and family. So please share this podcast with your travel companions and make sure you subscribe to our podcast feed wherever you collect your podcasts. Because I follow you on Instagram, I know that you are a fan of writers' retreats, so to speak. Uh, I mean, I think it's as fascinating as, as the mother of, of some crazy sons and I just have no time to myself at all. I just am fascinated by how you get the time to write your books. And, and I, I notice that you will often separate yourself. Is that right? When I um, am going into a really, I know is... Um, a pointy end of a book or often the beginning of the book I'll take myself away for five days and I'll sometimes take a writer friend but not too many not um, I prefer to go alone it has to be just the right sort of person because um, the ideas are brewing and you can work and work um, uninterrupted and anyone who works at home will know even the most disciplined of children will walk into your office at any time they'll just want to be near you or touch you or hug you which is delightful and lovely but completely frustrating when you're in the middle of quite um, deep diving in a manuscript how do you choose where to go well i choose somewhere warm <laughs> <laughs> they generally i always choose somewhere warm where the weather is um, where I can work outside, I can go for long walks, where I can swim. And, um, and especially when I'm swimming, I don't have um, earphones in. So mm. often when I walk, mm. I have a podcast on. But if I'm swimming, you can really dwell on your characters. Or if you walk with no um, interruption, you can really germinate a lot. So I find um, a couple of times I've been to a wood. Just this last time I went to Palm Cove. And it's really... I guess it's, it, it is a complete indulgence, but I have noticed that I get a lot done. And this is, I guess I've had to stop apologising, not apologising, that's not the right word, but this is my job, it is a career, and it's okay to mark out time for me to get the job done. Do you ever write with the thought of, how would this play out on the big screen? Who would be my characters? Do you ever think about that? I think for this one I had very clear pictures in my head. I had um, an old Chinese um, singer on my wall. I had an image of Instagram that I pinned up and I thought of Romy as like a young Marlene Dietrich. I had very clear images but they had more historical images um, with the clothing. There was a beautiful photo of a small Viennese girl between two Chinese girls laughing. And that's where I had my idea that I was going to start the story from a child's perspective. Romy's a little older when we see her, but there was a beautiful photo of a girl between two Chinese friends, and I thought, this is, this is my way into this story. And I'm trying to visualise your, your writing desk. So you, you, you're at your desk 
on the Walnut Farm in Mount yeah. Macedon, yeah. and you've got these pictures in front of you. Is that right? Yeah, I have a chalkboard, and um, I got this tip from Maggie Alderson actually. Once when I met her, and she has a—I guess she used to work in magazines, so she has all sorts of tear sheets. And so this one, I had the idea—I had the picture of the little girls, and I had this beautiful Chinese um, Shanghaiese. Singer in Western dress, with dressed in dripping in diamonds, just exquisite, exquisite woman dripping in jewels and the latest fashion. Because Chinese, I mean, um, Shanghai was the latest; uh, it had all the latest fashions. So, I had a very clear idea of what they looked like, what they were wearing, and then, um, and I am a very visual person, mm. so I had a lot of images of. Um, also, I would pull up images of the ghetto and the streets. That they walked, and um, but then in the end, going there, doing the research. There's no, there's no substitute for journeying. I think for actually getting on a plane and going. And I took my sister with me to Shanghai to do the, do the real research. And she just was, she hadn't been to Shanghai, and she was blown away. Kirsty, we do have a uh, readers' evening coming up, so I'll. I'll have the opportunity to ask more about the book throughout that evening, and of course, share it with our listeners too. So. Because I can feel myself raving on, <laughs> asking 101 questions, I was wondering if I could just wrap up today's chat with a few quickies, a few quickies for you. So you mentioned that um, that you took your sister on this journey over to China. Do you have a favourite place in China in general? I mean, I, I, we've been talking about Shanghai, but do you have a favourite place that you like to go to in China? My absolute favourite place would be Suchow, which is about 30 minutes just outside Shanghai, and it is the home of all the UN-listed gardens. Um, it's the humble administrator's garden, the masters of nets gardens. Um, it's where, I guess, the very embodiment of Confucianism and um, Taoism. You can, it's about harmony and balance and perspective, and um, you'll see a lot of those rockeries and the waterways that you haven't, you don't see in other gardens. I think that's extraordinary. I was going to ask you about your favourite garden, so you've answered that for me. Tell me, do you have a favourite Confucius saying? I know that there's a, a quote at the beginning of the book. I think it is where wheresoever, and this is fitting for journeys to come, mm. wheresoever you go, go with all your heart. I love it. Favourite place to go for dumplings? There is a little laneway in the French concession of Rouen Lou. But otherwise, I would say um, any of the, I guess, every second store. You can, if you're worried about hygiene, I would go to the chains. But off the street any morning between before 10 o'clock in the morning, I mean, you can't go wrong, take your pick, you'll see them. And, and the Jianlong Bao, the little pleated dumpling, and you have it on a spoon and you suck the soup, but a whole suck the soup in, That's, that is... That is what Shanghai is famous for. I have to ask because I'm just feeling so hungry as we're talking. Um, best places in Australia to go for Chinese food? Um, Dainty Sichuan. Got it. Love it. Very good. I always like a good tip for that. Okay, yes? I'd say. And, um, um, oh, I thought of the other dumpling chain. And they're also in Australia now that Dan Tai Fun is in Emporium, actually, on the top floor. So you can go there. But they're also in Shanghai, so... Best place to take kids in China? Their favourite thing was going to the markets mm -hmm. in the French concessions. So there's um, Tanzipang, there's a uh, kind of an artisan's market really of all the stalls and there's food there too. And um, and they've got some wacky food like the um, 
salted cheese smoothies and um, just things that you wouldn't try or, or even know about. So I think um, any of the food markets and any of the crafty markets they love. The other thing they really liked in Shanghai was the Science and Technology Museum, which is over the other side in Pudong. And that's good if you're there in summer because it's cool. Best place to go shopping? Well, anywhere in the French concession. The main streets in the French concession, I think that's where the most stylish boutiques are. Um, I guess the main streets behind the Bund are the most, I guess that's where the tourists go. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of the great designer stores. Hasn't Prada actually uh, taken on one of those Art Deco buildings? I was reading about this in, uh, I think I was reading about it in US Vogue. Have you, you talked before about those incredible Art Deco buildings and I think that they've actually taken one on and completely restored it. There, yeah. Watch has as well. They have made a Swatch Hotel there. Um, it's extraordinary. I mean, the Chinese can make anything. They are they are just the, the stars at it. So, I mean, it's worth just wandering around there and there's a great little um, restaurant on top of um, one of the buildings there. What is next? What is next is... Um, no pressure. Sorry to ask you that. I am touring with this book and then I am deep diving into my next manuscript, which is um, again going to be set into other eras. I will be off to London to be deep diving on the Edwardian and Victorian era and also the Jacobean and Tudorian era. And um, so there'll be some research at the London Museum coming up and um, I'm already excited and also Sri Lanka okay then <laughs> so much to talk about <laughs> Kirsty it's it's a delight to have you with us but particularly because our audience is passionate travelers so that's such a, um, a a theme that's so strong in all of your books and your life in general so thank you for sharing that passion with us and we wish you all the very best of luck with the Jay Lily. thank you very much well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Journeys to Come. If you want any more information on the places that we visited, all the people we spoke to, then visit our website, journeystocome.com, for full details.